Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 120. Today's big Bible question, does the Bible condone slavery? We're also going to be talking about what is a doulos or slave in Bible terms, and does what the Bible means when it talks about slavery match with the kind of slavery prevalent in the American South? And this is part three of our discussion on slavery in the Bible and whether or not the Bible condones it. And if you missed the first two episodes, all you got to do is just go back to episode number 118 and start there. So happy Monday to you, friends. God bless all of you essential workers, first responders, medical professionals, and others that are headed into work today to keep our country going, to serve the needs of the people, and to heal and help the sick. We all are more grateful for you than we ever have been before, and that gratitude and appreciation is honestly long overdue. Today's Bible readings include Numbers chapter 4, Song of Songs chapter 2, Psalms 38, and Hebrews 2. And our focus question today remains on the issue of slavery in the Bible. Specifically, we're going to compare what the Bible calls doulos, or bond servants, or slaves, with what most Westerners think when they hear the term slave. And I'm reading some excerpts from my book, The Bible in Racism, which is available on Amazon, and for whatever reason has never been featured as a Oprah Winfrey re-book of the month for reasons I just honestly can't begin to fathom. As we discuss this, we need to remember that the Israelites themselves started out as slaves, aliens, and strangers in a strange land. They were under the yoke of slavery for like 400 years, which was a fact that was prophesied to by God to Abraham in Genesis 15. The Israelites knew firsthand the horror and the difficulty of slavery for centuries. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a few verses in the Bible that talk about the issue of slavery. We're not going to call to cover all of the verses that the book, uh, The Bible and Racism, covers, because honestly, that would take forever. It's a pretty long book, like well over 200 pages. But we're going to talk about a few of them, starting out with the first mention of slavery by Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. So, like I said, this is Jesus' first mention of slavery. It's interesting on a couple of accounts. First, Jesus demonstrates here that one can be a slave or a doulos and love one's master. Second, it introduces us to the New Testament use of the word slave. In this particular instance, the word Jesus uses is a verb, the verb douleo, which means either to be a slave or a servant, depending on how you translate it. It's the same verb that is used in Luke 15.29 when the uh, elder brother of the prodigal son says, he, it says, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have slaved you or I've served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. In this case, the verb used by the elder brother, like the inheritor of his father's household in Jesus's famous parable of the prodigal son, um, is the verb 
duleo, the verb where we get the word for slave from. The elder brother was obviously not a slave in his father's household, but he did work and serve his father. The fact is that the Greek verb duleo and the Greek noun doulos, from which it is derived, can be used to indicate either slavery or service, and the meaning of the word is probably more in line with our English word servant or bond servant than our current modern connotations of the word slave. So let's look at another passage. Jesus says this in Matthew twenty twenty six through 28. He says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of God man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In verse 26, the word used by Jesus that the ESV translates as servant is the Greek word diakonos, and the word that Jesus uses in verse 27, which is translated there as slave, is the word doulos. Diakonos is the Greek word that was used for somebody who waited on tables in the first century, uh, like a, a server. It was co-opted by the church to mean deacon in Acts chapter 6, and ultimately came to also mean minister. Now, Jesus' teaching here is pretty revolutionary. He's saying that the key to greatness and the key to becoming first in the eternal kingdom of God is to be a servant or a slave. Now, in context, it appears also that the words servant and slave are both used very similarly here by Jesus, and they're both used glowingly. In the upside-down kingdom of Jesus, being a servant is being great, and being a slave or a bond servant is opening the door to being the chief or the head of all. Now, this proclamation goes right along with Jesus' teaching in Mark 10.31, many who are first will be last in the kingdom of heaven, and many who are last will be first. It should be said here that being a master, especially the master of a slave or a doulos, would be the very opposite of servanthood, and in many ways in the kingdom of Jesus, the opposite of being great. All right, let's keep looking. Romans 6, 15 through 23. Paul says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms, says Paul, because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification at its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word bondservant or doulos appears in about 36 verses in the New Testament, with Romans 6 and Galatians 4 being two of the densest discussions 
of the topic of what it is to be a doulos or a bondservant. Paul's discussion of slavery, bond servitude here, is largely metaphoric, but there's still two noteworthy facts about slavery in the Bible found in this passage in Romans 6. First, as indicated by verse 16, New Testament slavery does indeed carry implications of obedience. Second, Paul here contrasts two polar opposites that humans will serve. Either they will be slaves to sin, which is a terrible master that brings only death, or they will be slaves to God, a master that brings freedom, sanctification, and eternal life. In Pauline thought theology, all humans are slaves to something, a, faith, a fact that has extreme implications when discussing the complicated issue of slavery in the Bible. In the way that Paul discusses slavery, the key question relates to how good the master is. If the master is sin itself or a cruel human, then slavery is a terrible evil. If the master is God or a godly human, then servanthood is very different. Now, here's the thing. American Christians, no matter their race, hopefully cringe in their inner selves when they even hear the word slavery. The system of slavery in America from its inception until the late 19th century and also other parts of the Western world was race-braced, cruel, godless, an abomination, and diametrically opposed to the understanding of slavery, servitude, do-lostness in the Bible. Slavery in the Bible was far more similar, historically speaking, to what we think of when we think of somebody serving as a butler or a housekeeper or a groundskeeper. Now, I'm talking about slavery in the New Testament here. No, it wasn't a glorious position. And yes, sometimes slaves were taken advantage of, even though the Bible forbids that and forbids any sort of harsh treatment of doulos, bond servants. But first century slavery, at least the type discussed in the New Testament, was not race-based, and it shared almost nothing in common with the race-based, kidnapping-focused slavery of England and the Americas. The idea of being slaves to God or Christ is a recurring theme in the New Testament, far more prevalent than is commonly understood, appearing all over the Bible. Matthew 6, Matthew 22, Mark 13, Luke 12, Luke 12, 38, Luke uh, 12.45, Luke 17.10, Luke 15.15, Acts 2.18, Acts 4, Acts 16, Ephesians 6, Philippians 1, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 2, Romans 6, Romans 16, Revelation 1, Revelation 2, Revelation 6, Revelation 7, Revelation 19, Revelation 19.5, Revelation 22.3, and Revelation 22.6, and quite possibly at least a dozen, dozen other verses. The most frequent name used to designate general followers of Jesus in the New Testament, as in, you know, Christians, the most frequent name used is not Christian. That was very rarely used, but the no most frequent name used to f title followers of Jesus is brothers. Unless I'm mistaken, the second most frequent name for general followers of Jesus in the New Testament is slave, servant, doulos. Now, the word disciple also frequently refers to followers of Jesus, but is more often applied to the original 12 disciples of Jesus and is not used at all after the book of Acts. So let this idea sink in because it's pretty crucial here. Followers of God, according to the Bible, are servants, bond servants, slaves, do losses of him. To be a servant is not a bad thing, according to Jesus, but is the very key to greatness. Now, Americans and Westerners in general, we look down on serving in servitude, but Jesus practically glorified it. Now, that acknowledged, I want to do this again and again and again. I want to reiterate, 
that race-based slavery, that as was practiced in the American South and many other wealthy Western nations, is a cruel and horrid abomination, and its perpetrators deserve nothing more than derision. So just keep that in front of you. I am not defending, in fact, I'm attacking vehemently the race-based slavery that was found in America in centuries past. It is a horrible abomination. But the kind of servitude the Bible talks about is, again, it's more servant, uh, more similar to what we would call a butler, a groundskeeper, a housekeeper, or something like that in modern terms. It's different from the abomination that was found in the American South and was rightly overturned. Should have been overturned way before. All right, a couple more verses to talk about. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the early church was made up of slaves, freedmen, and nobles. It was composed of Jews, Greeks, Romans, and other, quote, barbarians. There were all shades of skin color in the early church in all manner of economic class together when the early church met. Sometimes this dynamic led to favoritism and partiality, but multiple times in scripture, the church was sternly warned to not give any place to favoring one group of people over another, especially warned to not favor rich people over poor people. As Paul notes here in 1 Corinthians 12, all of the members of the body, whether slave or free, were baptized by one spirit into one body. So the coming of Christ Jesus, his death on the cross and his resurrection, has destroyed every dividing wall in humanity. To reiterate, Slaves, free, nobles, rich, poor, Gentiles, Jews, strangers, aliens, and the like are out now all saints, citizens, and members of the household of God and co-heirs with Christ. All other titles and positions are meaningless because the ones we're talking about in terms of being members of the household of God and co-heirs with Christ, those are eternal titles, forever titles. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. Paul says, for we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves are your doulosses, your bondservants because of Jesus. Once again, we see a normative New Testament uses of the word doulos, servant, slave. Paul is proclaiming that he and his apostle team are slaves, servants to the Corinthians. In doing so, he is also demonstrating the lack of racial baggage that adhered to that word doulos in the first century. Now, the book Racism in the Bible covers many more verses in this discussion and goes much deeper into this topic. If it's an issue that you want to grapple with, I'd encourage you to get the book. Or honestly, look, if you don't want to spend the, I don't know how much it is, like three bucks on Kindle. If you don't want to spend that money, fine, no problem. It's not going to make me rich if you do. I appreciate it. It's great. Thank you for doing it. But I'm not about just making a ton of money off of that. If you want uh, to read that chapter, a couple of the chapters, and you want to go deeper in this topic, just leave a comment on our blog for this uh, podcast, BibleReadingPodcast.com. Leave a comment on this episode or any episode. Send me your email, and I'll send you a PDF of the chapter in question if you'd like. So you can read it. You can read it for free, or you can get it on Amazon, whichever is easier for you. So, What is the conclusion of this complicated matter 
of slavery in the Bible. Does the Bible indeed condone slavery? The answer is primarily no, with a couple of important caveats. The first and primary answer is no. The Bible soundly and roundly condemns any sort of race-based slavery and any sort of slavery that includes kidnapping, violence, coercion, or threatening behavior. On the other hand, the Bible does condone doulos slash servant slash slavery, at least in a sense of the word condone, by not calling for the utter abolishment of slavery. This answer at first might seem a little wishy-washy, but I think it accurately reflects the tenor and tone of the Bible's teaching about slavery and servitude. As we've seen above, the writers of the Bible, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had no trouble whatsoever referring to themselves as slaves of Christ and slaves of the churches they were serving, and they did not blink an eye about calling followers of Jesus to slavery, servitude, doulossing of God. The word doulos, servant, slave, though it was a lowly word in position, simply did not carry the same racial baggage and negative connotations to them that it does to us. I think writer John Ellis gets it correct in this nuanced discussion of slavery in the Bible when he writes, It's true the Bible never explicitly condemns slavery, but it never condones it either. It does regulate an already existing institution, an institution in the first century that had little resemblance to the slavery found in the American South. South. So right off the bat, we can look at a passage like Revelation, I mean uh, Exodus 21:16, and we can see that it flatly forbids and condemns what most people mean when they reference slavery in the modern world. The Word of God clearly states this. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. Now let that sink in. That is Old Testament in the Bible, and it is a command of God. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. It's hard with verses like that throughout the Bible with to to say with a straight face that the Bible condones the kind of slavery that was practiced in the Americas in the West in the 18th and 19th and the 16th and 17th and 15th centuries and before that. I know some preachers at the time tried to make the case that the Bible did condone what they were doing, but they were horribly and sinfully mistaken. They were trying to justify their wickedness rather than actually being led by God's word. Truth be told, the slavery that the Bible discusses would be more appropriately termed indentured servitude servitude, or bond servanthood or something like that. For one thing, like I said earlier, there was no racial element involved. And for another, the servitude spoken of in the Bible strictly forbid any sort of harshness or any sort of kidnapping or anything along those lines. So, fair enough, you might be saying, but the Bible is one thing and the church is another, right? I mean, the church supported slavery, didn't it? Well, yes, it did. Some churches did support slavery. They were wrong. But some churches didn't. In fact, many of the Christians and churches that opposed American chattel slavery on moral and religious grounds often pointed to the reality that the version of slavery practiced during 
Biblical times would not allow for the American chattel slavery that ended up happening. For instance, referring to slavery in the Old Testament, Kentucky Baptist preacher James Pendleton wrote in the 1840s, there are points of material dissimilarity between that system and our system of slavery. One of these points of material dissimilarity was that if the Southern slaveholders were to practice the type of slavery that was regulated by the Bible, they would have to have servants or bond servants or doulasses that were whites as well as Africans because the doulas system in the first century was not race-based. Another one was they would have to be killed if they either kidnapped people to be slaves, which the vast majority of uh, American plantation owners did, or they had in their possession any people that were kidnapped as slaves. That was a capital crime. That was something that would cause people in the Bible times to get killed if they even participated in the American-style version of slavery. Now, noted church historian Mark Knoll points to the the anti-slavery arguments of Minister John Fee, among others of the time, that the concept of slavery based on race was not only absurd but unbiblical. Unfortunately, these arguments failed to make inroads with most southern slaveholders, um, and that causes Mark Knoll to conclude with the telling statement that this failure reveals that factors other than simple fidelity to Scripture were exerting great influence over the southern slaveholders. In other words, they were just trying to justify their sin like so many of the rest of us do. When we're caught doing something wrong, we want to try to blame somebody else. We want to try to justify ourselves. And that's what the southern slaveholders were doing. It was wrong. It was an abomination. It was horrifying. And I'm ashamed of it as a child of the South, born and raised in Alabama. Um, I was not raised by racist parents. I, I was, uh, and I praise God for that. Yes, there was racism in my state uh, when I was growing up. There probably still is, but uh, the Bible repudiates all of it. All of it. Now, to our final answer, does the Bible condone slavery? I believe the ultimate answer is no. Does the Bible outlaw or forbid slavery? Also, no, it doesn't. But it absolutely does outlaw the kind of race-based, kidnapping-fueled slavery practiced in Western countries in the last 500 years. So I think the best way to express the Bible's position on slavery, taking into account the whole counsel of the New Testament, is that the Bible strongly discourages slavery, calls for equality, kindness, mutual respect, and mutual benefit in boss and bondservant type relationships, elevates servanthood to a position of greatness, forbids any and all kinds of racism, and out and out forbids with the strongest measure the kind of racism, I mean the kind of slavery that was practiced in Western countries over the last 500 years. And hopefully that is a good and solid and accurate and historical conclusion of the matter. And now on to Numbers chapter 4 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Among the Levites, take a census of the Kohathites by their clans and their ancestral families, men from 30 years old to 50 years old, everyone who is qualified to do work at the tent of meeting. The services of the Kohathites at the tent of meeting concerns the most holy objects. Whenever the camp is about to move on, Aaron and his sons are to go in 
take down the screening curtain and cover the Ark of the Testimony with it. They are to place over this a covering made of fine leather, spread a solid blue cloth on top, and insert its poles. They are also to spread a blue cloth over the table of the presence and place the plates and cups on it, as well as the bowls and pitchers for the drink offering. The regular bread offering is to be on it. They are to be there to spread a scarlet cloth over them, cover them with a covering made of fine leather, and insert the poles in the table. They are to take a blue cloth and cover the lampstand used for light with its lamps, snuffers, and firepans, as well as its jars of oil by which they service it. Then they are to place it with all its utensils inside a covering made of fine leather and put them on the carrying frame. They are to spread a blue cloth over the gold altar, cover it with a covering made of fine leather, and insert its poles. They are to take all of the serving utensils they use in the sanctuary, place them in a blue cloth, cover them with a covering made of fine leather, and put them on a carrying frame. They are to remove the ashes from the bronze altar, spread a purple cloth over it, and place all the equipment on it that they use in serving. The fire pans, meat forks, shovels, and basins, all the equipment of the altar. They are to spread a covering made of fine leather over it and insert its poles. Aaron and his sons are to finish covering the holy objects and all their equipment whenever the camp is to move on. The Kohathites will come and carry them, but they are not to touch the holy objects or they will die. These are the transportation duties of the Kohathites regarding the tent of meeting. Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has oversight of the lamp oil, the fragrant incense, the daily grain offering, and the anointing oil. He has oversight of the entire tabernacle and everything in it, the holy objects and their utensils. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Do not allow the Kohathite tribal clans to be wiped out from the Levites. Do this for them so that they may live and not die when they come near the most holy objects. Aaron and his sons are to go in and assign each man his task and transportation duty. The Kohathites are not to go in and look at the holy objects as they are covered or they will die. The Lord spoke to Moses, take a census of the Gershonites also by their ancestral families and their clans. Register men from 30 years old to 50 years old, everyone who is qualified to perform service to do the work at the tent of meeting. This is the service of the Gershonite clans regarding work and transportation duties. They are to transport the tabernacle curtains, the tent of meeting with its covering, and the covering made of fine leather on top of it, the screen for the entrance to the tent of meeting, the hangings of the courtyard, the screen for the entrance at the gate of the courtyard that surrounds the tabernacle in the altar, along with their ropes and all the equipment for their service. They will carry out everything that needs to be done with these items." All the service of the Gershonites, all their transportation duties, and all their other work is to be done at the command of Aaron and his sons. You are to assign to them all that they are responsible to carry. This is the service of the Gershonite clans at the tent of meeting, and their duties will be under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron the priest. As for the Merarites, you are to register them by their clans and their ancestral families. Register men from 30 years old to 50 years old, everyone who is qualified to do the work of the tent of meeting. This is what they are responsible to carry is the whole of their service at the tent of meeting. The supports of the tabernacle with its crossbars, pillars, and bases. The posts of the surrounding courtyard with their bases, tent pegs, and ropes, including all their equipment and all the work related to them. You are to assign by name the items that they are responsible to carry. This is the service of the Merarite clans regarding all their work at the tent of meeting under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron the priest. 
So Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of the community registered the Kohathites by their clans and their ancestral families, men from 30 years old to 50 years old, everyone who was qualified for work at the tent of meeting. The men registered by their clans numbered 2,750. These were the registered men of the Kohathite clans, everyone who could serve at the tent of meeting. Moses and Aaron registered them at the Lord's command through Moses. The Gershonites were registered by their clans and their ancestral families, men from 30 years old to 50 years old, everyone who was qualified for work at the tent of meeting. The men registered by their clans and their ancestral families numbered 2,630. These were the registered men of the Gershonite clans. At the Lord's command, Moses and Aaron registered everyone who could serve at the tent of meeting. The men of the Merorite clans were registered by their clans and their ancestral families, those from 30 years old to 50 years old, everyone who was qualified for work at the tent of meeting. The men registered by their clans numbered 3,200. These were the registered men of the Merorite clans. Moses and Aaron registered them at the Lord's command through Moses. Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of Israel registered all the Levites by their clans and their ancestral families from 30 years old to 50 years old, everyone who was qualified to do the work of serving at the tent of meeting and transporting it. Their registered men numbered 8,580. At the Lord's command, they were registered under the direction of Moses, each one according to his work in transportation duty, and his assignment was as the Lord commanded Moses. Song of Songs chapter 2, verse 1. I am a wild flower of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns, so is my darling among the young women. Like an apricot tree among the trees of the forest, so is my love among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banquet hall, and he looked on me with love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apricots, for I am lovesick. May his left hand be under my head, and his right arm embrace me. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you, by the gazelles and the wild does of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. Listen, my love is approaching. Look, here he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My love is like a gazelle or a young stag. See, he is standing behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My love calls to me. Arise, my darling, come away, my beautiful one. For now the winter is past, the rain is ended and gone away, the blossoms appear in the countryside, the time of singing has come, and the turtle dove's cooing is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, the blossoming vines give off their fragrance. Arise, my darling, come away, my beautiful one, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the crevices of the cliff. Let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom. My love is mine, and I am his. He feeds among the lilies, until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn around, my love, and be like a gazelle, or a young stag on the divided mountain. Psalm 38, Prayer of a Suffering Sinner, verse 1. Lord, do not punish me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me and your hand is pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my body because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin, for my iniquities have flooded over my head. They are a burden too heavy for me to bear. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am bent over and brought very low. 
All day long I go around in mourning, for my insides are full of burning pain, and there is no soundness in my body. I am faint and severely crushed. I groan because of the anguish of my heart. Lord, my every desire is in front of you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart races, my strength leaves me, and even the light of my eyes is faded. My loved ones and friends stand back from my affliction, and my relatives stand at a distance. Those who intend to kill me set traps, and those who want to harm me threaten to destroy me. They plot treachery all day long. I am like a deaf person. I do not hear. I am like a speechless person who does not open his mouth. I am like a man who does not hear and has no arguments in his mouth. For I put my hope in you, Lord. You will answer me, my Lord, my God. For I said, don't let them rejoice over me, those who are arrogant toward me when I stumble. For I am about to fall, and my pain is constantly with me. So I confess my iniquity. I am anxious because of my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and powerful. Many hate me for no reason. Those who repay evil for good attack me for pursuing good. Lord, do not abandon me. My God, do not be far from me. Hurry to help me, my Lord, my salvation. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. For this reason we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. For he is not subjected to angels, the world, to come that we are talking about. But someone somewhere has testified, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor, and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone. Amen. Crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he, become, he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people, for since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Amen. Thanks be to God that Jesus, our high priest, knows what temptation is like. He knows what suffering is life like, and he is able to help us in our suffering and our temptation. 
So look to him, brothers and sisters, be encouraged by him and his example in the word of God today. May God bless you and give you his peace. Godspeed.